All right. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn with me to um, the books of First and Second Samuel? And if you're using the red Bibles uh, in the seats in front of you, um, First Samuel is on page 140, and uh, the, the the passage we'll look at, and the second passage we're going to look at is on page 158. And um, we're looking at two passages, you'll notice, uh, because this story takes place at the timeline that we're in in the life of David. So David has defeated Goliath. Uh, He's been welcomed into the palace. He's made friends with Jonathan. But now King Saul is jealous of him, and he wants to put him to death. And so David is running. He's he's in exile. we'll, We'll learn that he's hiding out in a cave. Um, and it's w- during this time that David begins to amass this following of, of faithful men um, who will follow him and celebrate him as the future king. But the events that take place amongst these men aren't actually told until the very end of David's life, as David is recounting these, the, the acts of these mighty men, we actually learn the story of what took place here in the cave. And so that's why we're going to juggle around between 1 Samuel 22 and 2 Samuel 23. So, um, yeah, that's where we're, we're headed. Um, but before we get there, let me sort of, uh, by analogy, by way of story, sort of get, get us into here. Um, 90 years ago, 90 years ago, engineers... And, and laborers moved out west and constructed one of the, the modern wonders of the world, the Hoover Dam. And they constructed this dam, and, um, and, and, and it, it provides now power from the, the, the Colorado River behind it. It provides electricity for millions of Americans and, and behind the dam is this lake uh, called Lake Mead. And when it was constructed and filled up with water, it was actually the, America's largest man-made reservoir. Not only does Lake Mead provide the water to produce the electricity for millions of Americans in the Southwest, Lake Mead actually provides water for millions of Americans in, in California and Nevada and um, Colorado and Arizona and even in Mexico. Unfortunately, on March 16th of just three weeks ago, scientists recorded levels and learned that Lake Mead now is at only two-thirds capacity, and it is very quickly running dry. And most analysis say, like, within the next 90 years, it's going to be empty unless something else changes. Because of, you know, rising temperatures, fueling the evaporation faster, um, higher consumption of both water and electricity is, you know, using it more. Um, There's a number of reasons why, but it's going to run out and be dry. And so this story of of Hoover Dam and Lake Mead started with such a great triumph. I mean, this modern wonder is now a story of people longing for water. That's actually the story we're going to look at today, of David, whose story begins with great triumph, defeating Goliath. We find him now on the run, 
in a cave longing for water. That's where we begin today. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Let's read the first two verses to set us up. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in their souls gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there with him were about 400 men. And so now let's pick up the story of what happens to these men in 2 Samuel chapter 23, starting at verse 17. Or sorry, 13. It's on page 158. David recounts the story. There were three of the 30 chief men went down and it came uh, about harvest time to David at the cave of Adullam when a band of Philistines, the enemies, uh, they were encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold uh, of the cave, and the garrison of the Philistines were then in Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. Then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and carried and brought it to David. But he would not drink of it. He poured it out to the Lord and said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went at the risk of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things the three mighty men did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the account of the life of David. We pray now, uh, Spirit, would you, um, would you plant the seed of hope and grace in our hearts from this passage? And would you point us uh, to, to Jesus, the true hero of this story. We pray that it would uh, take root and grow in us and convict us where we need convicting and lead us to the hope and joy that we have in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, if you want to follow along with where we're going in this sermon, you'll see the three points marked in your bulletin. And I want to actually um, uh, change um, some of these. So the first one, we'll look at a familiar thirst the second one, we're actually going to change that, not the mighty man, but the mighty men. It's a typo. Mighty men. And the third, instead of freedom to worship, we'll just bump down mighty man to that. So we'll do familiar thirst, the mighty men, and the mighty man. First, uh, a familiar thirst. David is on the run. He's hiding out in a cave. It's harvest season. It's hot. There's an army led by King Saul on his tail. His life is in danger. All is not well with this man. On top of that, their enemy, the Philistines, they are gaining ground. They're encamped in the valley nearby. We read that their garrison uh, was in Bethlehem, David's hometown. They've captured the city, David's city. You can picture David in this cave 
reclining on rocks, trying to stay cool in the heat of the day, lamenting all that is going on around him, and then quietly, almost uh, reflexively, involuntarily, he says longingly out loud, oh, how I wish someone could bring me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem. He is exasperated. He asks for water with the same kind of desperation that one might look for water after completing a hike around Squire's Castle. Oh, that I could have a glass of refreshing ice-cold water. But not just any water. I want water from the well in Bethlehem. It's like water from your own house. This is the well that David grew up drinking. He was familiar with it, that distinct taste that made it unique. It satisfies him far more than any other water. He remembers those long days working out in the field, tending his father's sheep, and then coming home for supper and having that cup from the well in Bethlehem. Oh, to be brought back to that moment, he says, safe in the presence of my family, safe in the comforts of home. Oh, how much I hate being on the run. Oh, how much I hate being far from home. If only I could have a sip of that water, then I could feel once again that everything is going to be okay. You see, David's thirst for water was not just a thirst for water. He's thirsty for wholeness. There's something within his soul that he senses is not quite right, and he longs restoration. He's on the run from a murderous king. He's far from his best friend, Jonathan, who was of such great comfort to him before. His enemies are occupying his hometown. They're gaining ground. He feels exiled, even exiled probably from the presence of God. David is thirsty. He's thirsty down in his soul for wholeness, for rest, for completeness, he wants to be home. He wants to be safe. He wants peace. He is thirsty. Do you know that kind of thirst? That, that thirst for restoration, for healing. I think we get a sense of that thirst when we experience brokenness in this world. When we see or, or hear about or learn of stories of pain and suffering, we get a glimpse of that thirst. I mean, this, the, the war in Ukraine is awful in general, but when you hear stories of hospitals being targeted by missiles and, and, and pregnant moms having to be evacuated, when you hear the story of millions of refugees leaving their homes and pouring into neighboring countries, we get a sense of that thirst for wholeness. But it's not just out there. We know this in our own lives, closer to home. Any parents out there thirsty for rest? Like thirsty for a nap? I know I am. Anyone thirsty for your children to be healthy again? To stop getting sick over and over again? 
Anyone thirsty for the days when children will listen and obey all the way, right away, with a happy heart? I know I'm thirsty. What about in our vocations, our workplaces, what we do with our time? Are you thirsty for a job that will finally bring fulfillment? A a, a career that doesn't feel like you're running on the hamster wheel over and over again trying to land it? Are you, are you searching for and thirsty for this mythical job that you enjoy so much that it doesn't even feel like you're working? Anyone here thirsty for recognition or success or an, an identity of accomplishment, whether that's from your supervisor, your parents, your spouse, thirsty to, to be seen for all that you've done and worked hard for? You want to be rewarded. Are you thirsty for that? Anyone here thirsty for, for the time where you don't have to check your bank account to make sure you have enough money to pay your bills? Anyone thirsty for that feeling of financial stability and contentment? That you finally have enough? Or are we just thirsty for the next thing? The, the, the best thing, the fastest thing, the newest thing, the flashiest thing? Anyone here thirsty for feeling loved? Like really love, someone that knows you deeply and so welcomes you into their lives. Yeah, I love you. We love people here at Story Church. Anyone longing for that, to be known and loved and welcomed? I think that we're familiar with David's thirst. His thirst for wholeness and completeness, for rest for healing and comfort and peace. It's that feeling deep within our soul. What is it with you? What cave are you in right now? Maybe you've never put it into words quite like this. Here's a challenge for you to do today or this week. Be more conscious of that thirst. Recognize it. Maybe, maybe write it down, talk to your spouse about it, tell a friend, hey, I, I really am feeling this desire within me. Not all thirsts are good, and we're going to talk in a minute about, about the ways that we try to quench those thirsts, but at least making ourselves more aware of those thirsts, it always helps us see when there is something lacking or weak or deficient in our lives. David is in a cave, and he wants water. He's thirsty for wholeness in his soul. What are you thirsting for? Let's continue the story and look at these three mighty men. So three of David's mighty men, they hear this longing. They hear their leader say, I want water water from Bethlehem, from the well at the gate. And you can imagine they, they heard it and then they discuss amongst themselves, hey, did you hear what David wants? Hey, let's go do it. You know, and someone says, no, it's going to be too dangerous. No, come on. He, he's, he's laid down his life for us. Let's lay our lives for him. Let's go get him what he wants. And so, all right, let's go. They sneak away from the cave. 
They have to travel through the valley against the Philistines. They're at the edge of the city of Bethlehem. They know that the Philistines are in there. So they make a plan. They're going to fight their way in. And then, and then they get into the city. They're fighting their way. They have to go to the gate. You have to remember the, the gate is not on the outside of the city. The gate is sort of the central area where, where commerce would happen, where the public announcements would happen. You'd have to imagine the Philistines have set up shop in the gate of Bethlehem. And so they're fighting their way in. Two of them are fighting off the others as the third draws up water from the well. And then they fight their way out, go back through the valley, back home to the cave. Finally, they made it. They give the water to David. Man, this is quite a story. This is the kind of story that movies are made about. This heroic act of bravery and loyalty and faithfulness to David. This is the kind of story that gets written down in the Bible, right? These men risked their lives to bring a glass of refreshment to their leader. And we see in David's response immediately turning to the Lord and worshiping him, thinking of himself as so unworthy to receive this gift, you have to realize David assumes um, that this act of faithfulness from these men was just uh, an, an, the, the extension of God's faithfulness to him. You know, David understands that these men are faithful to him because this is proving the Lord is faithful to David. It's affirming what David knew to be true in his heart. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the future king of Israel. He has the Lord's protection and the Lord's provision. The Lord will provide everything that David needs. And this act of faithfulness reminds him of that. This is what David knows to be true. Isn't this what he writes in Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The Lord will provide. Do you believe that that is not only true of David, but that it is true of every one of us if we are indeed children of God? that our Heavenly Father will provide for us, that we can sing with confidence what we sang this morning, great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Do you believe that? David believed that. He understood that the Lord would provide everything for him. These three mighty men reminded him of that. But I don't think that we always know that to be true. I think when we find ourselves in the cave of anxiety, wondering, is my thirst going to be satisfied? We don't look to the Lord. We look elsewhere. We look to other things to quench our thirst. We run to other sources of water besides the Lord. You know, last week, my, my buddy Justin was here filling in for me, and I loved what he said. Uh, he, he made a comment about alcoholism. He said that we tend to think that someone who struggles with drinking too much alcohol, um, we tend to think that the drinking is the problem. And, and Justin reminded us that actually drinking is the solution, that they think that by drinking, they will be satisfied. 
their problem is that they're thirsty for something. They're thirsty for fulfillment. And their solution is drinking. They're turning to alcohol to quench their thirst. They, they use it for a sense of stillness or numbness to calm themselves down. What are you turning to to quench your thirst? I mean, we overwork ourselves. We, we, we put in overtime. We work from home. We check our emails as we're laying in bed at night or first thing in the morning. We, we take on a second job or a third job. We work on Saturdays or Sundays. We neglect the Sabbath. We don't trust that the Lord will work for us, and so we don't rest. Why? We're working ourselves because we're thirsty for some kind of recognition or affirmation or status, and we think that this is the solution. Is anyone thirsty to be a better parent than the ones that you had growing up? Thirsty to prove uh, to someone that you won't repeat the same problems that you faced growing up? So what are you turning to to quench that thirst? Over-disciplining your kids? Putting a burden of expectation upon them with school or with their friends that they can't carry? Are you using your kids to make a statement about yourself that will never quench your thirst? Are you thirsty for the perception of financial stability? So you rack up credit card debt trying to have it all to give the appearance of of maintaining some semblance of prosperity. Or maybe you burden yourself with oversaving and neglect to enjoy the good things that the Lord has given you. It doesn't matter what your thirst is. Our default position is to find something to quench that thirst that will never actually satisfy you. You go back to it again and again and again, looking for satisfaction, but it never does. This is the cycle of addiction. Like when someone begins to take drugs, their body releases dopamine, the chemical associated with pleasure, and that feels good. And it's often an elevated dose of dopamine. Your brain doesn't know what to do with it, so it actually begins to rewire how your brain understands that. So that the next time you take a hit or take the drug or whatever, it doesn't quite reach that level of high that you had before. And so you pursue it again. You have to do more. More and more and more. This is the addiction cycle, returning again and again to the same thing, the expectation that it will provide satisfaction. This is why pornography is such an addiction that's so destructive for both men and women. Pornography offers us sexual satisfaction. It says, I will quench your thirst for love, your thirst for connection, your thirst for companionship, for relationship, but it cannot quench your thirst. So you return again and again and again, hoping to feel what you once felt. But alas, you are left alone in the cave with your longings unsatisfied. It truly is like running on a hamster wheel. Are you tired of running? Is your heart tired? St. Augustine said that we were made for God and that our hearts will be restless 
until they find rest in him. You were made for God. Are you tired of running to something else? These faithful men reminded David that God would be faithful to him. We forget that all the time. So how can we remember? How can we respond like David in worship of turning to the Lord? See how he responds. David considered himself so unworthy to receive this faithfulness. He pours out the water in worship to the Lord. You, you can imagine the, the three men are like, come on, David, we just risked our lives. Why are you pouring this out? Remember the story of Jesus. He's eating with his disciples, and a woman comes in with expensive perfume. She breaks the jar and pours it out before him in honor and glory and worship. And his disciples say, what a waste. We could have sold this and used the money to help the poor. This is ridiculous. And Jesus says, no, she's worshiping me. How does David worship the Lord in this situation? How is David able to take the thing that he was longing for, the thing that would quench his thirst and pour it out to the Lord? Because David knew that the Lord is faithful. He knew that the Lord was his shepherd, that he would never be in need. David knew that the story was not about the faithfulness of these three mighty men. He knew that the story was about the faithfulness of God, the mighty man who was willing to risk it all for him. He understood that if these men would risk their lives to bring him a cup of water, surely the Lord God Almighty himself, whose faithfulness far surpasses those of these mighty men, that he would go to great lengths to provide for David's greatest need, that soul thirst that we all feel. David believed that if necessary, God would send a mighty man himself who would go on a mission behind enemy lines, lay down his life for us, not to retrieve for us a cup of water, but to give himself as living water, whose springs do not run dry. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, before all time, they came together, and they said, do you see humanity and their thirst? Do you see them longing for satisfaction? Do you see them desperate for wholeness? What can we do? And they said to one another, let us go. We will send Jesus and he will go into enemy territory. He will secure for them what they need. And so Jesus comes into this broken world. He puts on flesh like you and me. He suffers like you and me. He experiences pain, loss, and rejection, all while fighting out of his love for us to secure for us what we need, the satisfaction of our souls. Jesus says in John chapter 7, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He offers to us what our hearts are thirsty for. Are you thirsty for love? He knows all about you, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever said or thought, and he loves you the same. He has welcomed you into his family. Are you looking for status? Jesus has made you a member of the household of God. You're part of the royal family, a status that that surpasses all others. Are, Are you looking for purpose? Following Jesus gives you a mission, serving the kingdom of God in love and righteousness and justice of far greater importance and purpose than anything this world offers you. Are you thirsting for an identity? When you trust in Jesus, he gives you his righteousness, his own name, so that now your identity is his always and forever, and no one, not even yourself, can take that away. Every one of our thirsts are satisfied in Jesus. Maybe we can change uh, Augustine's quote. We were made for God and our hearts will be thirsty until we find the living water in Jesus. He will provide everything for us. He calls us to seek first the kingdom of God, to come to him, and then all things will fall into place. Do you believe that? That when we go to Jesus to quench our thirsts, that we can trust that the Lord will give us everything else that we need? When we trust that, then and only then can we actually love and serve and live our lives as a drink offering before him. Like David, we can take these things given to us and pour them out in worship. When we see Jesus as the fulfillment of our desires, then we can love our spouses in a way that actually honors them rather than uses them to bolster ourselves. When we love Jesus and find him satisfying in this way, we can raise our kids with patience and forgiveness and gentleness. When we find in Jesus the satisfaction of our hearts, we can go to work and work for his glory and not our glory. When we find Jesus satisfactory and that in him we have everything we have, money just becomes a tool to worship him by giving it away and serving. This story points us not to the mighty men who followed David, but to the mighty man who came into this world, gave up his life for you, so that you and I could come to him and through faith find our thirsts satisfied. Let's pray.